informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. And today we is the last day of our pre-recorded shows. It's the last day of our best of Catholic drive time. So thank you very much for those of you who have stuck by us through thick and thin, through left and right, through up and down, through everything in between. So praise be to God for you for joining us and staying with us for this whole time. Well, today we have a couple great interviews as always. We have Mike from Restoring the Faith to talk about the problem with economics. And then later, Jeff Younger with his about his son being trying his mother trying to trans him it's a tragic story and one of the most important interviews i think we have done in a long time these interviews are old interviews so you can check them out at catholic drive time youtube channel but i don't want to waste any more time so let's jump right into the memorare and jump right into the interview in the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost amen Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And we'll jump right into the interview with Mike from Restoring the Faith on Catholic Economics. What you need to know and what we can do to fix things for the better. I Zoom chat is Mike from Restoring the Faith, a former uh, uh, employee at an investment banker on Wall Street and a financial guru of a type of some kind. But uh, we're very grateful he's decided to wake up today and, and join the program. Uh, considering the last time we tried this. Uh, good morning, well, Devil Dog. Second time's a charm. Leatherneck, praise be to God. You know, I brag about Marines all the time, how we can get ourselves out of bed no matter what and be where we got to be early. And, and then Mike doesn't show for the show. And and there's exceptions like, to every rule, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise be to God. I tease you. I tease you. It's good to have you back on the program. Uh, hyperinflation. It sounds good, but what does it really mean is the question. I was reading uh, some articles just this morning about uh, hyperinflation on the rise. Of course, we all know that uh, the Fed tends to print cash and put it in your bank account, whether you want it or not. There's an issue there. Uh, we saw all the stimulus bills that got passed last year, um, but... Yesterday, I paid over $3 a gallon in the state of Texas, which blows my mind. We see the cost, the, the price index, the cost of food has increased 4.6% since, uh, since last year. Um, everything is on the rise. I mean, literally housing, fuel, food, every a- aspect of life is starting to get very uncomfortable for so many people. What is going on, Mike? Uh, well, we're, inflation is certainly at a 30-year high, according to even the metrics that the government is willing to release. Um, uh, the printing of money has been nonstop. I, I think, really, realistically, since 2002, uh, when the Fed, you know, uh, it created a quantitative easing, really wanted low interest rates, really wanted to uh, allow people the the so-called American dream of buying a home, and um, that 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 run up from 2000. 
2002 to 2007, where you know the the bottom fell out of the housing market. The printing has not stopped since then. And inflation is really an interesting thing, Joe, because it's an insidious secret tax that we all pay. We're not even really aware of it. It's so uh, it's so slow. Uh, it's so incremental. Um, but but it is it is it is state policy to create inflation. It is a man made creation. It is not a necessary component of finance or economics. It is uh, it is it is fiat policy uh, by the government. And, and there are a number of reasons why they do it. You know, there's also new polls out about how bad the current administration is really doing. More than two thirds of Americans think the economy is in poor condition and nearly half think it will get worse over the next year, according to polling results released yesterday. AP no NORC Center for Public Affairs, 54 uh, percent said economy was poor and 45% said it was good. I'm curious, Mike, who do you think the 45% who think this economy is good are? <laughs> well, maybe maybe 10% of them are the uh, are the uh, millionaires and billionaires. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when you when you establish the fact of uh, scriptural fact, our Lord says, render to Caesar what is to Caesar's and render to God what is God's. Uh, there's no possible way that our Lord could have possibly meant that Caesar gets more than God. And at the time, when you, t when you think about your tithe, your tithe is a 10% pre-tax of your gross earnings to the church. It's a precept of the church that you have to support Holy Mother Church. It's also a precept of the church that you cannot deprive a man of his wages. It's one of those sins that cries out for the justice of God. Um, and so when Caesar takes more than his due, when he takes twice as much as God, four times as much as God, ten times as much as God— um, you really have a problem. You have an overreach. It, it no longer it's it it uh, it no longer is taxation. It's really theft. Um, and the Catholic Church, you know, unlike you know, some people say, well, the early church was for, you know what they were almost communist. People didn't own things. But no, that's 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 bogus. It's one of the one of the Ten Commandments uh, implies personal property. You shall not steal. I get to own things. I get to keep what I earn. Um, and uh, inflation is so intricately tied to taxation because what inflation allows policymakers to do is it allows them to borrow debt uh, and overspend and then inflate the debt away. So I'll give you a quick, quick example. I know we're on radio and time matters. If you buy a house for $200,000 uh, of, of a mortgage uh, at the point in time when a Hershey bar costs $1, then essentially you bought a house that costs 200,000 Hershey bars. But if inflation uh, halves the purchasing power of your dollar, and now a Hershey bar costs $2, then suddenly your house can be purchased for 100,000 Hershey bars, not 200,000 Hershey bars, which, which just basically means that you have cut your debt in half. You have inflated it away. It's almost like abstracting the thing away. And that is what the federal government tries to do. They can spend like drunken sailors, and they'll just inflate the debt away over time and pretend like you and I won't notice. You know, the, the numbers are so it, so huge. They're so out of control that it's hard to wrap our minds around them. I mean, most most of us are just trying to make, make the day work, right? We got to get to work. We got to get to school. We got to get the kids here. We got to go to this doctor's office there. We got to pay the bills. We got to put gas in the car. We're trying to just get through life on a daily basis, let alone keep up with the shenanigans of the economy, the, the policies, the politics, the politics the politicians and all the rest. I mean, these numbers, they're so massive. Trillions of dollars in these bills. How does anybody make sense of that? 
Well, that's a good question, Joe. I mean, it's. I think studies have proven that the human mind really just can't even comprehend numbers that big. They, they just become numbers on a page. Hold that thought. Uh, Sorry, Mike, I set you up, and only for failure because we're at a break. That music means we have to go to a short break, but we'll pick up right there on the other side of this break with Mike from Restoring the Faith talking about hyperinflation and the economy. We'll wrap our heads around the numbers in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Got the drive time. is headed your way. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say that we should stop opposing things like abortion and homosexual unions because there's simply nothing we can do about it? You can't prevent that stuff. It's inevitable. So just accept it. Well, G.K. Chesterton says the other word for inevitability is impenitence. We have let ourselves be dominated by the notion that there's no turning back. This idea is rooted in materialism and the denial of free will. Now, this modern refusal to undo what has been done is not only an intellectual fault, it is a moral fault also. It is not merely our mental inability to understand the mistake we have made, it's also our spiritual refusal to admit that we have made a mistake. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Jesus Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Mike from Restoring the Faith is our guest, uh, former Wall Street investment banker, finance guy, guru. And we're talking about the hyperinflation, the uh, don't, but wait, there's more. There's still our debt that China is not sure they're going to continue to buy. Um, there's an issue there. Uh, will that debt come due? Will we default? What happens then? Plus usury, plus everything else. Mike, welcome back to the program. Just before the break, I asked you about wrapping our head around the numbers. Can you pick up there? Yeah, I mean, the numbers are so big that people just can't comprehend them. They just become an abstract uh, thing. You know, it just becomes a, a number on a page. Uh, we we realistically, uh, every child born in the United States, which there are fewer and fewer of them, of course, but every child is born under the burden, you know, inheriting, uh, you know, we, we talk about uh, inheriting the American dream and becoming a U.S. citizen and, and your birthright. Well, part of your birthright is about $200,000 in owed taxes just to get this <laughs> this uh, economy back going. I mean, that's uh, talk about being saddled by debt. It's, it's really a generational theft. It's a theft that has been... Uh, uh, enacted by the current generation that is stealing from future generations by our overspending, by our endless government uh, programs and policies uh, designed to make ourselves feel comfortable today at the expense of our children's futures. You know, one of the things that just bugs me to no end about all of these uh, heavy pork infested bills that they want to pass, you know, their stimulus or or the budget or whatever is they spend so much of our hard earned money on stimulus 
stupid stuff. They waste it away. It's not even going to, like, the bottom line to keep the doors open, the lights on, and government functioning. It goes to this, you know, crazy wackadoodle program and that crazy wackadoodle communist program. I mean, it just seems like we give so much away. Do they really not have a conscience, I guess, is my question? Or who's in tr- <laughs> who's behind these bills? Are there economists that write these things? Who writes this stuff? Oh, certainly not. Certainly not. I mean, essentially what happens is it, you know, each each member of the of the committees that put these things together wants to wants to be able to go home to his or her home district and say, I brought home the bacon. Boy, howdy. I, I'm going to study this obscure lizard here in our in our district and make sure that this lizard, you know, survives. And, and that's why you sent me to to Congress. It's it's four hundred and thirty five elected people who uh, are are each trying to get an outsized share of the goodies so that they can continue to purchase votes and, and buy their way back into power. It's really a perverse system and there's no there's no way to there's no way to change it really. I mean I mean in terms of like how what people's incentives are on Capitol Hill. You know, that that kind of makes me think uh, collegiality the problem with it uh, one problem with it rather is the fact that you become anonymous. There's uh, so many people. It's kind of like the USCCB. When the USCCB, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, gets together and they declare something, well, then no individual bishop needs to take credit for it. There's no one to uh, to blame, no one to say to hold accountable. And in the same case, like who do we hold accountable for all these things? We talk about the past generations have put us in debt and are stealing from us, but who who do we hold accountable? What, what's the path forward? <laughs> Remember when Pelosi said you have to pass Obamacare to know what's in it? Right. Yes. I mean, imagine the USCCB saying, oh, well, we have to pass this resolution to know what's in it, you know, or something like that. I mean, that would that would be awful. Yeah, I you know, similarly related this morning, I was driving in and I heard uh, a piece of audio from one of the uh, uh, voting committee members at the FDA who said we have to we have to start vaccinating kids to test its safety. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. The uh, oh the, the reverse and insane thinking of these people. What he about said the-, the quiet part out loud. He wasn't supposed <laughs> to say that part. I know. Right? Yeah. Oh, look, it's not safe. Well, now we know. Now we know. Um, <laughs> let's talk about debt. Uh, China buys most of our debt, uh, which you would think is probably not a great relationship to have the the company the 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 country who is uh, launching hypersonic nuclear capable missiles in our atmosphere uh, to also own our debt what happens if they def- if we default and they stop buying this is this is more than just a thought experiment joe i mean this is something that could realistically happen it's publicly available information that in 2009 at the height of our financial crisis that china and russia the two largest uh, owners of our debt got together and uh, one of the two uh, and i forget which one it was either china or russia was in favor of dumping the us debt of t- saying this is our moment this is our opportunity to totally bankrupt and ruin the united states it's um, it's uh, it's it's money as a weapon system it is um it is economic war this is dale alquist with a chesterton christmas minute gk chesterton says that it is in the old christmas carols that date from the middle ages that we find not only what makes christmas poetic and soothing and stately but what makes it exciting the exciting quality of christmas rests upon a great paradox that the power and center of the whole universe may be found in something very small, a baby in a manger. And it's extraordinary to notice how completely this paradox of the manger 
was lost by the brilliant theologians, but was kept in the Christmas carols. The songs recall the main point of the story, that God once ruled the universe from a stable, and that the hands that made the stars were too small to reach the huge heads of the cattle. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Hi, this is Len Oswald, president of the Guadalupe Radio Network. My wife Joanne and I would like to wish all of our GRN listeners and their families a very blessed Christmas and a happy new year. Hi, this is Toya Hall, Vice President of the Guadalupe Radio Network. I want to thank you, Guadalupe Radio family, for your prayers and gifts that provide support for your GRN station. I pray that you and your loved ones will have a most blessed Advent, a joyful Christmas, and a new year filled with peace and love. totally bankrupt and ruin the United States. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's money as a weapon system. It is, um, it is economic war. Um, and I think it was uh, China at the time who said, uh, no, now is not the time. Wait until the next cycle. So I, I, I think that this is a very timely question because, you know, business cycles, they say, are normal. Business cycles are, you know, booms and busts and in, in, in housing markets and Wall Street and prices of things. When you didn't have a fiat currency, when, you, when uh, there were no business cycles, yes, there were feasts and famines with respect to, uh, you know, the productivity of land, the weather, um, you know, the the bounty of God of Almighty God, but there was no such thing as a as a business cycle in terms of, uh, you know, whether or not your uh, your interest rate was uh, was appropriate. So I think you know what happens to us if and when. Um, and probably more when than if uh, China and Russia do collude and uh, and stop buying our debt, uh, it's a bad day for us. We have seen we've seen examples of this in world history when a currency fails. And I think the most sta- spectacular version of this is not any of the of the versions that are really well known that people talk about. But think about the Habsburg Empire prior to World War One. Blessed Emperor Karl von Habsburg, uh, uh, considered by many to be a saint, he's on his path uh, to sainthood, the last Holy Roman Emperor, their their currency uh, was the reserve currency of Europe. It wasn't the pound sterling. It wasn't the German mark. It was the it was the uh, the currency of the of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. That was in 1917. One year later, that currency disappeared off the face of the earth. The disaggregation and the destruction of the Holy Roman Empire, the uh, uh, the abdication of the or, or the exile of the crown, you know, and and all all of that happened within one year. I mean, that is a uh, hundred years ago. That is lightning speed. That could happen to us. We are the reserve currency of the world. The petrodollars, you know, they transact in, but they could they could decide in the Middle East to not transact in in U.S. dollars anymore. They could stop holding our currency, and that really is what allows us to do what we do, is the fact that everyone else accepts our currency. That's the danger of a fiat currency, is that it always fails throughout all time and all places and all history. Eventually, it fails, and ours will, too. Um, and this is why I think it's so important that Catholics uh, can prepare themselves um, you know, financially for that. So what does that look like, exactly, preparing ourselves for that? And, uh, and I really... Like, I'm kind of a, a dumb guy right here. I don't really know much about, especially when it comes to economics. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, what is it? What do you mean by it's guaranteed to fail? Fiat currency. What is fiat currency, and what is the path forward? 
Well, I, we, we used to have a gold-based currency. We used to have a coin-based currency. Insofar as you know, you could take your your currency to a bank and exchange it for a set uh, amount of silver um, or gold. And um, and so we knew that there was gold and silver, a hard a hard asset that under girded our currency. That's no longer the case. Uh, we were taken off the gold standard in the 1960s. Since then, it's been absolute chaos. Uh, since then, we have seen inflation. And now, you know, that uh, the fact that we are unmoored from a real tangible asset, the fact that we are just floating out there and, and a fiat means, you know, that the government just speaks it into being. Um, it's the, it's really a, an inversion of our lady's fiat. Um, th- that allows them to, to print money on demand. They can create it on demand, and banks do this too. Banks create currencies called fractional reserve lending. You know, they only have to keep, let's say, eight uh, percent on deposit, and then everything else they can lend. So, if you put a dollar into a bank, they're going to now lend out ten dollars, which means eff- effectively they've created nine dollars that never existed before. So, it's all has a, an inflationary effect on on how we live. Um, your question, Adrian, of what do we do about it? I think the first step is that we really start thinking about um, our uh, holding real assets and real and, and trying to divest ourselves from the U.S. dollar in general. Now, everything that we do, everything that we buy, stocks and bonds and gold and land and real estate, it's all denominated in the U.S. dollar. We all think about it in terms of the U.S. dollar. But what we should be thinking about in terms of how uh, the productivity of the underlying asset itself. Should I buy Bitcoin or not? Well, the question is, is it a productive asset? Will it survive a hyperinflationary environment? Will it survive, you know, uh, an an unexpected attack on our infrastructure? If I, if I don't have 5g, can I access my Bitcoin? You know, so I, so this is, these are the questions we need to be asking ourselves are, are the, the preservation of capital, the survivability. And then finally, and I think Joe, you alluded to this, the moral um, component of finance. And this is something that we never really think about. You know, the usurer used to be buried apart from the Catholic. The usurer was buried with the suicides in his own graveyard that nobody visited. That was how severe usury was considered by the Catholic Church for like 1,200 years. It started to change because of the the commerce in Florence, and ultimately by the 1800s, usury was totally accepted. Um, But is it is it moral? Is it licit? You know, am I investing in in um, in companies that that commit abortions, for example? Uh, am I expecting an unreasonable return? You know, the Holy Father says that we, we don't want you reproducing like rabbits. Well, we expect our <laughs> investments to reproduce like rabbits. We expect our money to make money. Yeah. Yeah. We are almost out of time. Mike from Restoring the Faith has been our guest. Uh, boy, well, a lot of trouble here on the horizon and not a lot of clear answers. Uh, you got about 60 seconds. What's your best advice? Best advice is, uh, first of all, buy the book Creature from Jekyll Island if you're interested in the history of money and the what what is money. Uh, and more importantly than that, I think everyone should look into the Catholic land movement from about 100 years ago. This is when Catholics said, we don't want this modern economy anymore. It's not working for us. We want a truly Catholic economy where the man can work, uh, where the where the mother can stay home and raise the children. 
I think by returning to the land, by by looking into productive assets, I think that we can uh, protect ourselves from this modern uh, labyrinth, which is which is a house of cards poised to fail. All right. Praise be to God. Let's not waste any time and let's jump right into the interview with Jeff Younger on the fact that they were trying to trans his son in his fight for his son's life. And so that interview is coming up right now, and you can check out any of our interviews on our YouTube channel, Catholic Drive Time. But without further ado, let's jump into that interview with Jeff Younger. Uh, Very heart-wrenching story you have there, Jeff. In fact, when I first came across your story, all I really wanted to do was go home and hug my sons and and protect them from, from the insanity. Uh, it's it's a complicated story you, you got, Jeff. We don't have a tremendous amount of time here. So let's start with what was happening in your marriage just before divorce. Um, uh, you know, I, I had uh, I, she, my ex-wife had children. Uh, well, she told me that they were by adoption. Um, I found out that one was by adoption and one was actually from a sperm donor after I was married to her. Um, that probably would have affected my decision to marry her, but I didn't find that out till after we were married. Um, and you know, the normal things started happening when they became teenagers. Um, and that, that conflict led to, um, I think Miss Georgia list sort of taking it out on my son mm. and she started putting my son James into timeouts and saying things to him, like the monsters only eat boys. Wow. How old was and he when that like happened? Two years old. Wow. Two years old. And then um, she filed for divorce right before my son's, uh, you know, turned three. And, um, you know, I, oppo- I don't believe in divorce. I opposed the divorce right from the beginning. I still oppose it. Um, and she uh, she forced me out of the house using she's a pediatrician. So she forced me out of the house because she got some psychologists to say things about her with her daughters and stuff that there was a lot of conflict. It'd be better if I left. And then as soon as I left, uh, right after my son's third birthday, she began to socially transition him. She started reading him transgender books, teaching him about uh, telling him that he had a girl's brain and a boy's body. She began to cross-dress him and to actively teach him that he was actually a girl. If you go onto YouTube, you can just search for a video, Mommy Says I'm a Girl, it went viral. Um, and that's me learning for the first time what she was doing to my son. In court testimony, she said that this all started when he chose a girl's toy for uh, for a Happy Meal. Wow. Wow. Uh, Mr. Younger, could you tell us about how uh, he got the name Luna, how his, his mother started calling him Luna? Uh, I remember hearing the story, and I was so shocked by what, what happened here. And uh, it really open my eyes to what's going on. Yeah, there's, um, so initially they wanted him to pick a girl's name and they pushed him strongly to pick a girl's name. And he's a little kid, he's three years old. Mm. So he chose the name Starfire from a cartoon. (laughs) Um, And they told him that that was inappropriate um, and pushed him to uh, choose the name Luna, which is the, the, uh, the title of a very prominent transgender book which depicts sex acts uh, on kids. That's horrible. I mean, that's diabolical. It's Just, diabolical. Diabolical is the right word. Yeah, for sure. This is a this is a satanic and demonic attack on our society. That's exactly right. Jeff Younger is our guest, uh, uh, sharing with us this heart wrenching story and battle which is ongoing. 
Um, now, I think this exposes some of the difficulties that uh, society has to wrestle with in the wake of divorce. I myself come from a very broken home uh, and have gone through this myself as a child growing up. So I understand what this is. But in, in the state of Texas, they they favor the, the mother, do they not? I mean, that's part of the issue oh, here. It's, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, you know, we have free, we have open trials in the United States. Most countries don't have open trials. Every citizen should go to family court and visit family court and watch the family court judges in action. Um, fathers, so there, there's a, there are federal laws. The one that, that's the most pernicious is a federal law called Title IV-D. Title IV-D gives matching funds for the collection of child support. It's 60 cents on every dollar. It's so much money, it, it, it's the entire budget for the Texas Attorney General's office. It's half a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge amount of money. But it's only, the state only gets that money if somebody pays child support. So actually in Texas, it's statutorily required for the courts to assume that one parent should be thrown out of the lives of their children and have only 20% of the time with their kids because that produces the maximum amount of child support and the maximum amount of remuneration to the state from the federal government. And the, the parent that is chosen to pay that child support 90, 90 plus percent of the time in Texas is the man. And if you, I, I'm Orthodox Christian and the Orthodox church has commissioned many studies about church attendance after uh, kids graduate college. And the literally the only thing that correlates with church long-term church attendance is whether the father went to church. If the mother goes to church, it has no, no statistical effect. Um, it, it's only the father's church attendance, which correlates with positive church attendance for children when they, when they're later in life and whether they raise their children in the Catholic faith. So, uh, fathers are very important, but there's a massive amount of money involved. This is more money that, uh, exists in most defense programs. So it's a huge amount of money that's pushing fathers out. And frankly, when it comes to parental rights, fathers have virtually no rights in court. I mean, look at me, I've spent, I've spent um, in just pure cash, half a million dollars in total economic costs have incurred about $1.2 million. And that's just to prevent my son from being physically and chemically castrated, but much less being a part of my son's life. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. Since we are all children, we all associate Christmas with Christmas presents. G.K. Chesterton says that everything looks better when it's a gift. A gift is something we don't deserve. If we deserved it, it would not be a gift. And that's why the only possible response to a gift is gratitude. And that is why we hear in the Mass, as we will hear at Christ's Mass, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks. Everything we have is a gift. And that is why Chesterton says, thanks is the highest form of thought. That's why the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. The best kind of giving, says Chesterton, is thanksgiving. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca wishing you a Merry Christmas from the Catholic Drive Time team. A brief meditation on Christmas. The Virgin adored him saying, O Lord, you indeed have come from heaven to earth for the salvation of men. 
I adore you because as God, you are my creator, and as human, you are my son. Joseph adored him, saying, O Lord, you have granted me such a grace. Kings and prophets wished to see you, and they did not see. But to me, a sinner, you have given such a grace that I should see you. Merry Christmas, and God love you. So it's a huge amount of money that's pushing fathers out. And frankly, when it comes to parental rights, fathers have virtually no rights in court. I mean... Look at me, I've spent, I've spent um, in just pure cash half a million dollars. Wow. In total economic costs, I've incurred about $1.2 million. And that's just to prevent my son from being physically and chemically castrated by my ex-wife, much less being a part of my son's life. That's insane. Jeff Younger's our guest sharing his, his uh, st- ongoing struggle and, uh, and story about trying to prevent his, his little boy from being medically altered. Um, it's a difficult thing, but just we have, we have, we're up against a break here in a moment. Um, I just want to highlight this real issue in states like Texas, but there are other states as well, that favor so dramatically towards the mother, it assumes that all dads are somehow bad. I mean, there are bad fathers. We all know this. Um, but there are probably a lot of dads who want to remain actively involved in the lives of their children, don't have any issues paying child support, would gladly uh, give to the support of their children, um, and yet the law seems to favor against them every time. No doubt about it. Um, And, you know, the studies are very clear on this, right? If you have less than 40% of of time with your kids, um, your child is being raised in a single-parent home. The psychological effects are identical. Um, and it does bring up the problem with no-fault divorce. Yes, um, yes. I mean, you know, one parent can just unilaterally decide to just leave the family and that's it. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you know, she's she's raising my son in uh, some kind of new, like, liberal uh, Lutheran church where they they use, like, gender-neutral pronouns for, for Jesus and all this other stuff. Hold that I mean, thought. she's effectively changed my child's religion and, and is teaching him heresy. Unbalanced. But that's kind of where we left it before the break. Um, Jeff, where what's this, what's the situation right now? Uh, you spent, well, you um, said you spent a half well, a million dollars. So have you been able to successfully block this transition? Where are you yes. at now in your, in your circumstances? Yeah, I won my last trial. So uh, the court awarded me 50-50 conservator rights, which in Texas are uh, your parental rights. So she can't exercise medical decision-making without my consent, and that effectively allows me to block these procedures. Praise be to God. Um, However, she has now taken me back to court. Um, She's trying to strip me of my parental rights again. Uh, My son is unusual because he only presents as a girl with his mother. Mm. With everyone else, me at church, everywhere, he presents as a boy, okay? And I think the calculation that the transgender activists have made is that they they can get this boy, they can get any child because of that. He does not present consistently. So the court-appointed counselors decided, uh, it's Dr. Fletcher uh, in Frisco, Texas, and Dr. Threets in Carrollton, Texas. They decided that they were only going to see my son James, when he presents as a girl from his mother's house, but never see James when he presents as a boy from my home. Um, And I refused consent for them to do that. And on that basis, they've gone to court to strip me of my parental rights. I'm also speaking to you right now in violation of an illegal court gag order. 
Um, and I've been violating that order with impunity because it violates my civil and constitutional rights. I'm not allowed to speak, according to the court, I can't speak on transgender issues, LGBT issues, anything related to the case. I'm not even allowed to tell you whether my son is a boy or a girl, according to the court. Wow. Um, wow. I'm not following that order. I've, in, I've invited the court to uh, consider criminal contempt proceedings against, against me. Um, I believe it's unconstitutional and I want standing to go to the Texas Supreme Court to strike down these unconstitutional gag orders for all fathers in this state. Um, on July 2nd, I have a court hearing, and at that hearing, uh, they are asking to jail me for one year for violating the gag order, uh, 10 years probation, and a $50,000 fine. Um, we have a writ of habeas corpus ready to go. I'm going to court with a jail bag. Um, They're also seeking to strip me of my parental rights, which would give her sole medical decision-making authority. Uh, and allow her to chemically castrate my son on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And by the way, when these when these kids go on cross-sex hormones, which they do at 10 years old, my son is now nine. It permanently sterilizes the child. Oof. And they're doing that to 10-year-olds, hundreds of them in the state right now. Um, the other thing is I have two court orders that have already adjudicated that my son's name is James Damon Younger. He's named after the saints Cosmos and Damianos. Uh, he is, he is a male by sex, and he's a boy by gender. I have two court orders to that effect. Yet I still cannot stop the Capel Independent School District from teaching my son that he's a girl. When I have brought him to school in boys' clothes, the teacher gave him a dress. That's insane. He used female pronouns. He uses the female bathroom. And despite these court orders, the, the uh, Capel Independent School District's position is I have to take them to federal court to get them to stop teaching my son that he's a girl. That is horrific. And that actually kind of answers the question I wanted to ask, which was, uh, I was, I see that there is hundreds of cases just like yours all over the nation, but I don't hear anybody talking about it. You're the only voice that, that is outspoken, that is loud. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and is this the reason why? Yes. It's because, uh, family courts routinely put unconstitutional gag orders on fathers so they can't speak out about the injustices that are meted out to them. That's why you never hear about it. Um, and uh, I, I've just decided it, uh, that I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. I am, I am, uh, uh, I think persecution by these sinners is a crown that I'll wear. Uh, and I am not going to obey unconstitutional orders, mandates, or laws that prevent the due exercise and prudent exercise of my civil constitutional rights. I'm simply not ever going to do it. It's never going to happen. But I'll tell you something even worse. Currently under Texas law, these barbaric medical procedures where they sterilize my, chemically sterilize my son, stunt his growth with puberty blockers, surgically remove his penis and testicles are considered medical child support in the state of Texas. Mm. And if I fail to pay for these barbaric acts on my son, I will be committing a state jail felony and they will imprison me in the state. And I fully insane. expect to go to prison because I am never doing that to my son. Amen. Can you speak about the what you refer to as the Save James laws, the HB 1399 and HB 68? Okay, so we had four bills. We had two in the in the Texas Senate and two uh, in the House. The ones you probably heard about are uh, uh, HB uh, 1399 and then uh, uh, HB 1646. Recently, we had a, the Senate bill was sent to the House, HB 1311, 
which is similar to HB uh, 1399. We wanted to take two approaches so they would go to different committees. One just says that these procedures are child abuse, and the other one simply outlaws the procedure and removes all liability protection from doctors so that they won't perform the procedures. <clears throat> all of these bills, all four of these bills uh, were sent to the House. Uh, one of them made it out through committee in the House. That was 1399. Uh, the House leadership, Dan Phelan, Representative Stephanie Click, and uh, Representative Dustin Burroughs killed this bill. Mm. They support uh, transgender child abuse surgeries on children, and they need to be removed from office, and no Christian should vote for them. You know, the governor of Tennessee just signed a bill in Tennessee to try to block these types of therapies for prepubescent children. Yes. It's, you would see, you would think that uh, the conservative state of Texas would have been leading that charge, but that's just not the case. What do you think your chances are uh, at this point, uh, either in the court or with these bills, Jeff Younger? The bills are dead. Uh, there's no chance of passing these bills at this point. Uh, they have successfully delayed them long enough that they are dead. Um, Governor Abbott, uh, Steve Munieri, his, his consultant, uh, Dan Phelan, who has a 100% approval rating from the largest LGBT organizations, is the Speaker of the House. Um, and these people successfully killed these bills. Um, and they did it. And we now have to exact political reprisals against them, and we have to focus on that right now. In court, I don't expect that the court will want to uh, uh, you know, bring a criminal contempt action against me because I'm pretty sure that they know that they will lose and it would limit the court's actions in future cases. Um, I suspect they'll come after me for something else. Uh, they've, um, they've alleged that I've, that I've been in late on child support payments and I've looked at the records with the Texas Attorney General's office and there were four payments that came in after the first, but there have never been any arrears on child support. I've never been behind in the child support. Um, but technically, I guess the courts can put you in jail if you're even one minute late wow. past the first. Um, so the court may choose to go that way. Um, I really, I really don't know what to expect. This is my first time before this judge. Um, I'm facing the the most powerful family law firm in the state of Texas, Coons Fuller. Um, they're one of the largest uh, donors to judicial uh, political campaigns uh, in the state of Texas, and. Um, they manufacture wins in cases. Let me just put it like that. Um, and uh, they've gone all out on this case. And when I was at trial, my, my country lawyer showed up and there were seven lawyers on the other side when we <laughs> went to trial. So um, she's she's Miss Georgilis, pediatrician in Capel. My ex-wife is just pulling out all the stops to to uh, take my children away from me. And the courts appear to be willing to indulge her. Wow, that's horrific. The have you you said okay? So you are Orthodox Christian and we're Catholics. Yes. Um, have you received any support from any of the patriarchs, any of the bishops, or or the like? No, my my uh, I went to St. John the Baptist Greek Orthodox Church in Euless, Texas, and they threw they literally threw me out of the church. They hired a police officer to follow me around during liturgy um, because they said I was too angry about what was happening to my son. Um, at no time did. Did the church stand up for my son? The priest there, Father Vasile, allowed my son on church grounds This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. 
G.K. Chesterton says, All comfort must be based on discomfort. What's that supposed to mean? It has something to do with the fact that we celebrate Christmas in December. It is the feast in the middle of winter. We are choosing to be joyful at the very moment when the whole material world around us is most sad. We are defying cold death outside by celebrating life inside. And that's why there's nothing more comfortable than a blazing fire in the middle of a blizzard, and why we bring a green tree inside and decorate it and talk of good cheer in the face of darkness and death. Tidings of comfort and joy. Because all comfort is based on discomfort. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. Hello there. I want to thank you for being a beautiful part of the Guadalupe Radio Network family of listeners. Sammy Rodriguez Jr. here, your business manager. And from my family to yours, Merry Christmas. May your heart and soul be filled with the love, joy, and peace that only our Lord Jesus can bring. Always remember that He is truly the reason for the season. Christian and we're Catholics. Um, have you received any support from any of the patriarchs, any of the bishops, or or the like? No, my my. Uh, I went to St. John the Baptist Greek Orthodox Church in Euless, Texas, and they threw they literally threw me out of the church. They hired a police officer to follow me around during liturgy um, because they said I was too angry about what was happening to my son. Um, at no time did. Did the church stand up for my son? The priest there, Father Vasile, allowed my son on church grounds in a dress in direct violation of canon law. At the Greek festival at that church, he allowed my son to go on stage as a girl and dance as a girl. And when I pointed this out to him, he looked at me and said, what can I do? Um, So no, my church has not stood up for me. That's why I have such respect for my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. Uh, and particularly Bishop Strickland over in Tyler uh, has, has been really strong on these issues. Um, just as unfortunately, it has, it has been the burden of my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters to bear the, the main burden of opposing abortion in the United States. Um, I'm afraid that it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall to your shoulders to oppose the trans agenda too. But I want you to know that there are many Orthodox Christians like myself who love you. Who pray for you and every single day I pray for your patriarch, for your pope, and I pray that our two churches will join together in unity. And um, I want you to know that we respect the work you've done on abortion beyond belief and that we look forward to working with you to stop this travesty. Thank you, Jeff. We are out of time. How can people support you? Do you have a website or anything? I, I don't because I get slapped down by the courts all the time, but there's a group of volunteers on Facebook uh, if you search for St. James on Facebook, you can stay up to date with all the information there. Um, my, my two twin boys, uh, are, uh, their saint names are Cosmos and Damianos, Damon, you know, Damon mm. James Damon Younger. And my, my son Jude is named for the prophet Daniel. If I you would just say prayers to their saints, Absolutely. that would be the best thing. We are out of time, though. Jeff Younger, God bless you and God love you. 
We'll be keeping you in our prayers and uh, search for Save James on Facebook. Praise be to Jesus Christ and make sure that you check up with Jeff Younger and check out that interview and share that with people that need to hear this because people need to know that this is going on. But let's jump right into our next interview. We have to finish up our show with Michael Knowles on his book, I have Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, Speechless. And that book is excellent. I loved it. I read it personally, and I very much enjoyed it. I love this interview, and I didn't think that this got enough traction on our YouTube channel. And I hopefully the radio audience really loved it. But we're going to throw you into that interview right now with Michael Knowles. Good morning. So great to be with you. Praise be to God. It's good to have you on. Now, this is a book that has a few more words than uh, your previous work. Uh, tell us <laughs> about the process of writing Speechless. Well, my first work, of course, involved many years of research and about 10 seconds of writing that was called <laughs> Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a Comprehensive Guide. That, by the way, it did have some words in the extensive bibliography, though no other words in the book. And uh, this book involved many, many more words. And uh, I thought it would be ironic, since I wrote a book without any words, to then write my next book entirely about words and about the power of language to shape our culture and our politics, and specifically the strategies that the left, the radicals, have used to upend our culture through what we used to call political correctness. Now sometimes we call it wokeness or cancel culture. As you can see, the words change, but they refer to the same old scourge. And I think this is the most powerful tool that radicals and revolutionaries have used to, to upend our traditional society. You know, I find it fascinating because we're in a, a, a digital age. You know, my medium of choice is, is radio, a medium that seems to be dying as digital grows and as the world pu is pushed, really, into this bright, beautiful, bold digital future. Uh, we see censorship on the rise, whereas on radio, we can say things without that censorship in a wholly different way. I find that fascinating. Have you thought about that in this sort of the passing of one age into the next? Yes. The the promise um, initially of talk radio was that you could get through the gatekeepers of the mainstream television and print media. And then when the, the new media came out, the social media, the digital age, People thought this will just be an extension of this, this new free speech age. And, of course, what has happened is that uh, over time, the big tech oligarchs came in and began to clamp down on speech. And the, the oligarchs, I refer to Jack Dorsey at Twitter as hipster Rasputin, you know, these <laughs> left-wing uh, billionaires in Silicon Valley, they really crossed the Rubicon on January 7th and January 8th when they deplatformed and censored even the duly elected sitting president of the United States shows you where power really lies because in a republic such as ours, speech is politics and politics is speech. We govern ourselves by communicating and persuading one another. So if you control speech, you, you really control the whole system. And I think actually that the mistake that so many conservatives have made in, in the past 30 years or so fighting against political correctness is we viewed this battle primarily as one between free speech on the one hand and censorship on the other. And I don't think that's quite right. I think it's actually much more a battle between competing sets of standards, namely the traditional standards of, of our culture and the anti-standard of the radicals. And so what, what you've seen is in some ways you're free to 
to speak much more freely. All those seven words that George Carlin said you could never say on TV, you can say them now, <laughs> but you can't say plain facts like men are not women and babies are babies. Those things you'll be censored for. So I, I think we've really fallen for this trap whereby we've abandoned our traditional standards. And because nature abhors a vacuum, the woke leftist standards have, have filled their place and society is all the worse for it. Yes, and I, I know Adrian Fonseca speaking, and this is, you know, I always kind of split up the division of it, not to just conservatives and progressives, but I break it into like three camps. You have the traditionalist who take on what has been handed down to them, literally from tradare to hand on, and then the conservatives who want things to remain exactly how it is today, huh. even though it's different, and the progressivists who are walking to the edge of the cliff. Why is it important to be a traditionalist rather than simply a conservative? Well, Chesterton has a great line on this. He says it's the job of liberals to go about making mistakes and the job of conservatives to make sure those mistakes are never corrected. <laughs> and, and I think that, yes, we, we want to look to something deeper, that, to something that is enduring, that is transcendent. So we, we do look to the tradition and we do look to natural law. We do look to reality. And un unfortunately, we haven't been able to conserve very much of any of those things in recent years. I think that the reason for this strange phenomenon, that the, the harder we fight against political correctness, the more ground we seem to lose, I think it's because of this subtle trap. You know, if, if political correctness really just seeks to destroy our tradition, then you'll notice there are only two ways that people have really fought back. Well, I suppose there's the one way, which is the squishes. They just give in to the new standards. It might take a little while to do it, but obviously that will advance political correctness. But then even the more stalwart people, people who say, I'm not going along with your new standard of speech, you'll notice very often they'll do that by abandoning standards entirely. They'll say you're free to say whatever you want to say, do whatever you want to do. And the, the trap is either way you react advances political correctness because it abandons those traditional standards. And so I think you make a great point when we talk about the tradition. It is not merely enough to say, let's pause history here and stop everything from changing. Of course, you can't do that. Another Chesterton observation is that when you when you leave a, a white picket fence out in the street, you're you're leaving it in a torrent of change. It won't remain white for very long. There will be bugs and dirt. You know, change is the, is the constant. So what is it exactly that we want to stand for? What is it that we want to preserve? Uh, the, I think what, what a lot of people on the right have, have learned in recent years, and I hope they pick it up more quickly, is that the freedom of speech in the abstract is all well and good. The freedom of speech in the abstract doesn't mean anything for people who don't have anything to say. Michael Knowles is our guest. His book is called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds by Regnery. And, uh, you know, I was just watching an interview with Robert De Niro yesterday. It was like a, an actor's roundtable kind of a thing. And they're talking about the craft of uh, acting, and it was great. And then all of a sudden, we interrupt this conversation to bring you a rant against Donald Trump. And uh, De, <laughs> De Niro was going off. But what caught me off guard was how how sort of violent his undertones were, that he wanted to snuff out, you know, this person whom he could not stand, did not like their politics or their opinions. You know, the left often gets away with that. They often get away with sort of promoting this violence where, as on the right, if we dare to suggest it, boy, it would be the end of the world. Does your book cover that as well? 
Well, it, it does, and it covers some of the reasons why, but we've got more proof of that even just this week. There's a new study out from UC Santa Barbara that shows that, and again, I take these studies with a grain of salt, but when they suit my purposes, I'm more than, more than happy to cite them. And what, what this survey shows is that uh, leftists are much more likely to dehumanize conservatives than the other way around. Wow. They, they focus their study specifically on the 2020 election. We've seen this on other social media surveys. Leftists are much more likely to unfriend someone over politics than conservatives are. And the reason for that, I think, is that uh, conservatives or traditionalists or people broadly on the right generally understand where our opponents are coming from because that's the culture we live in. The left has so thoroughly dominated the institutions, the media, big tech, the schools, the government, that we know what they think. But, but unfortunately, our opponents don't really know what we think. And so it's, it's easier to become violent and it's easier to use coercion. And I, I also think that it's important to recognize we, we, when the, the topic of speech comes up, we all use euphemisms. Right. We refer to a woman of a certain age instead of an old hag, for instance, to be polite. We're, we use language to soften harsh realities, but we don't undermine them. On the left, they actually do invert the reality. So they'll refer to praise be to Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. We're going to have to cut off Michael Knowles right there. But don't worry. If you want to go and hear the rest of the interview, you can make sure to do that on our YouTube channel. Just look up Catholic Drive Time Michael Knowles and you'll find the interview right there. Or go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. But that's going to do it for this hour. In the next hour, we're going to finish out the interview with Michael Knowles. So if you want to hear the rest of it, you can stay on. But if you're listening to Station the Cross, then praise be to God. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you on Monday live because this is going to be the last one of our best of for a while now. And let us know what was your favorite best of for Catholic Drive Time 2020 to 2021. When we come back, it's going to be the new year, 2022. So praise be to God. And we look forward to seeing you all next year with all new things and it's going to be great praise be to god thank you for joining us and thank you for sticking with us through thick and thin god bless you god love you and we'll see you in 2022 thank you for joining us on your catholic drive time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired join us monday through friday at the same time right here on your favorite catholic radio station don't forget to connect with us just go to facebook.com forward slash catholic drive time again that's facebook.com forward slash catholic drive time be sure to share more than just us today share jesus with everyone you meet bye now and god love you From St. Luke's Gospel, the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. As we celebrate Christmas, let's bring impossible measures of joy and love to all. I'm Joseph Schuler with Guadalupe Radio Network, and I wish you a happy and holy Christmas. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it's become a bad habit in our society to celebrate Christmas before it comes. 
we've forgotten the glory of anticipation. The presents should not be opened until Christmas. That, of course, is part of the excitement. And while we know the gifts are coming, Chesterton reminds us that the best kind of gift is the surprise gift. And if we have the right perspective, we should look at everything as a gift and every gift as a surprise gift. We are happy to wake up on Christmas morning and find gifts in our stockings, but the best gift we could ever find in our stockings is our own two legs. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. I'm Richard Lena, GRN Executive Director, and from my family to yours, we wish you and all your loved ones a blessed and very Merry Christmas. May Christ come to you this Christmas with the gift of love, the blessing of hope, and the promise of peace. And may the new year bring joy throughout your family and friends as we celebrate the precious gift of life in the new 2022 year. From all of us here at the Guadalupe Radio Network, may God continue to bless you and God love you. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And this is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. Today, we're going to finish out our last segment of our best of for Catholic Drive Time. This is the best of for Catholic Drive Time. And if one of your interviews that you were listening to, you didn't get to finish through, well, praise be to God, you can check out those interviews on our website at grnonline.com forward slash CDT, or go to our YouTube channel, just look up Catholic Drive Time, and you will find all of our interviews right there. And you can share them, watch them again, or do whatever you want with them. So praise be to God. In this uh, hour, we're going to finish out our interview with Michael Knowles with The Daily Wire. And we, uh, if you didn't get to hear the whole interview, just like I said, you can find those interviews online at a later date. But we're going to finish off that interview with Michael Knowles on his book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. And without further ado, let's pray the memorare and let's jump into the interview. And then we're going to be heading out for the new year and we'll see you in 2022. Can you imagine? So Merry Christmas in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now let's jump into the rest of that interview with Michael Knowles and his book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. So praise be to God, and we'll see you in 2022. This desire to, to redefine reality itself by redefining all the words, I think that's at the heart of this, this semantic strategy that they have. And I think it's why, by the way, the left is putting so much emphasis on the pronouns, trying to get us to refer to Bruce Jenner as she and her because that that is an attempt to redefine not even just the political situation but but nature itself and and 
it's why they become so irate when we don't go along with their plans, because we believe that there is such a thing as reality, there is such a thing as objective truth, and it's not going to change no matter how much you want to redefine it. Yes, and I really like uh, what you're saying here about this, and the the actual title, Speechless, uh, tells a lot about what we're discussing, because I'm thinking of Aquinas and Augustine, you know, Augustine gives the analogy of God uh, as the as the, and, uh, the Son being the Word spoken, the divine Logos, and Aquinas talks about how when you deny truth, but when you lie, when which is political correctness, when you lie, you are denying Christ himself because he is truth. Uh, could you tell the, what is the relationship between truth and political correctness? Well, po- political correctness seeks to contradict truth and to deny it altogether. You see this, and I, I trace the movements in speechless going back not just to the 80s, but really going back to the 1920s, and the very brilliant, albeit perverse, leftist radicals who developed this plan. And then, then in the 1960s and 70s, you saw the proliferation of, of academic theories that uh, that seem to suggest that reality is just a social construction. It's just words, 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 uh, which is, by the way, what Hamlet says when he's pretending to be insane. Now we've actually gone insane, so we believe that to be true, that there's no, there's no underlying reality here. Um, and, and you see this in critical theory, critical race theory, postmodernism, all of these various isms that, that suggest that we can just define not not even just the world, but even even our very human nature. And you can you can go back even further than uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas or Saint Augustine, all the way to good old Uncle Aristotle, who says that man is the political animal because we have speech. Right? It's not just grunting sounds where we we grunt and yell and club each other over the head. Increasingly, that's what politics looks like, <laughs> but it's not how it should be. Uh, actually, because we can observe reality, we can perceive it, we can know something about it, and then we can articulate what we believe about it to, in, in comprehensible terms, or in these symbols, which are words. Uh, because we can do that, we are higher than the other animals, and we can have a political society. But when that breaks down, when you, when you disconnect society from that reality, then, then you're not going to be able to have a civil politics. I'm reminded of, of my friend George Rutler who points out that when, when the society no longer identifies itself with I am that I am, the name God gives himself, the essence of being, then you're left with this pitiful question, who am I? And, and you try, like a teenager, you try on various silly identities. Uh, that's what we're doing right now, and, and I think reality is reasserting itself. But the battle is between those, uh, I think, who believe there is such a thing as truth and will defend it, and those who, who want to make their own truth, which is actually an inversion of the truth. Michael Knowles is our guest. His book is called Speechless. It's published by Regnery. Um, Michael, we've had on our program a couple of times now Dr. Paul Kengor. He's got an excellent book called The Devil and Karl Marx. And some of what you're saying kind of reminds me of our conversation we've had with him And one of the things that surprised me was uh, how quickly after the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917, in Russia, how quickly that translates into active communist work in the United States, especially within the uh, teachers union uh, and and other uh, aspects of American society. In Catholic circles, we'll often talk about this in terms of the infiltration. Bella Dodd's name comes up and all of that. One of the things that comes to mind looking at uh, your book, Speechless, and listening to you talk about it was uh, how the left seems to want to spin every criticism, every pushback, especially in terms of Marxism, communism, uh, 
the sort of uh, the critical race theory, for instance, as as sort of a like a, a tinfoil hat moment, like a conspiracy theory. Huh. Well, like a president, former President Obama, you, you know, he would criticize us for, oh, like we've got nothing else to talk about other than critical race theory. You people are crazy. You know, how, where is the uh, where, at what point do we get to in the timeline where we have lost the ability to look at the circumstances and call a spade a spade? Well, you know, I love Paul Kanger's book, The Devil and Karl Marx, so much that I actually wrote the foreword to that book. <laughs> and, uh, and I quote that book in, in my own. I, I do trace the Marxist origins of this, of this thing going back to the 20s. And I don't think that anyone is going to be able to accuse me or my readers of wearing tinfoil hats because I have about 100 pages of notes and citations. <laughs> so I, I hope that, that it's not too dry. You know, I, I worry it's almost too much on that side. But, but I think it, it will uh, protect us from any accusations of conspiracy theorizing. It's funny. You'll notice this with critical race theory right now. The radicals who push that stuff will alternately defend critical race theory and then deny that it even exists. Mm. You say, well, hold on a second. Which is it? You can't, you can't do both of those things simultaneously. U- ultimately, I think the, uh, the, the radicals are pushing this craziness, and they've been pushing it for a very long time. But a lot of the fault actually lies with people on the right who have failed to take a strong stand here. Mm-hmm. The communism is a good example in this. In the 1950s, you could be canceled and often would be canceled for being a communist. There was a Hollywood blacklist. You could be prosecuted on that. Today, you can be canceled for not being a communist. <laughs> so what has changed <laughs> exactly. is, not, is not the fact that there is a cancel culture. What has changed is the standard by which one can be canceled. And I think conservatives need to ditch the shallow slogans of free speech absolutism that have cropped up in recent years. And I think we need to recognize all societies have standards. All societies have taboos. Some things will always be off limits. That's always been true in America, and it's been true everywhere else in the world, too. And I think we, we need to be able to articulate a substantive moral vision of politics that, you know, it's, it's true that political correctness prevents you from saying certain things. So does chivalry. I mean, so, so do all, all uh, speech standards. And so uh, contrary to conservative self-flattery, I think that the left actually understands speech and its relation to politics and censorship much better than conservatives do. And that's true going back to Marx and certainly true of Marx's ideological heirs from Antonio Gramsci all the way up to the present. Who are, who are trying to reshape our, our speech regime. And, and we need to get the courage, which is not just a virtue, but a prerequisite for all of the other virtues, the courage to state some things are true, some things are false, some things are right, some things are wrong. And, and we need to encourage the former, the, the true and the good, and we need to suppress the latter. All, that is what politics does. And right now we've unilaterally disarmed and surrendered our politics to the radicals who want to reshape it. Yeah, there, there's two, uh, two little threads that I want to pick up, and I don't know which one to grab. I think uh, the one thing is the relationship between – you often hear people say the political correctness is the new inquisition, which is an absurd uh, comparison because, you know, the political correctness attacks, uh, attacks good things and the inquisition attacks evil things. But more to the point, I'm, I'm six chapters into your book, and uh, on chapter six of your book, you were talking about the tolerant left. And I was surprised that you didn't actually include a reference to Fulton Sheen's famous essay, A Plea for Intolerance. Uh, and I want to read the first paragraph, and because uh, I've, I've talked about this all the time. I love this essay of his, and I want to read you the first paragraph and get your comments on it. America, it is said, is suffering from intolerance. It is not. 
It is suffering from tolerance, tolerance of right and wrong, truth and error, virtue and evil, Christ and chaos. Our country is not nearly so overrun with the bigoted as it is overrun with the broad-minded. Your thoughts? It, it's a beautiful statement. I, I took the, the chapter from the left's point of view. So there's a, an infamous essay by the father of the new left, who himself was one of the early critical theorists, Herbert Marcuse, and it's called Repressive Tolerance. And in it, he says, you cannot tolerate intolerance. And he uses this as just a way to shut up conservatives and encourage leftist speech. And and I I used that essay because conservatives are so quick to dismiss it and to deride it. But he's making the same point, actually, that Fulton Sheen is making. He's making it from a a really perverse sort of perspective. But but both of them make the observation that – you know, the truth is arrogant. <laughs> they both make the observation that you cannot tolerate everything. Words themselves exist to discriminate one thing from another thing. Uh, there was a, a commercial that came up the other day from the NFL, and it said football is gay. Football is transgender. Football is everything. And I said, well, it can't be everything. You know, it's not football is not basketball. Football is not baseball. And even if it were to be gay or transgender, th- those views take on opposite premises about human nature. We actually must be able to discern between good and bad and right and wrong. There, there was a, I guess you'd say former conservative columnist, now he's pretty decidedly on the left, David French, who, who in a debate with Sorab Amari, a Catholic conservative writer, he, he referred to Drag Queen Story Hour as one of the blessings of liberty. That sound you hear, by the way, is James Madison rolling over his grave. Right? <laughs> That's uh, disgusting. He, he said, he, now his argument, I want to be as charitable as one can be to David's argument. He says, effectively, if you tell perverts that they can't twerk for little toddlers at the public library, why then they might tell Christians that we can't go to Mass on Sunday. And so I say, first of all, they, they were already telling us that for the past year and a half. So just <laughs> yep. at, the, at the practical level, that sort of failed. But, but also, if you really believe that we cannot discern between a pervert jiggling for a kid and a pastor preaching the gospel, that's fine. But then what you're telling me is you do not have faculties of reason, you do not have a moral conscience, and you are not capable of self-government because self-government relies – on your, your reason and on your conscience. This is why when John Adams says the country is built for a moral and religious people, this is not soft soap and superstition. He's just making a, an observation about politics that you, you need those things in order to govern yourself. There's one of these silly slogans that's cropped up in recent years. They say, you can't legislate morality, which is preposterous because you necessarily legislate morality. All laws whether you're talking about abortion, you're talking about parking tickets, they all make moral arguments. They refer to the moral law. And so I think conservatives just have, have not had the courage or perhaps even the vision to articulate what we want society to look like and how it, how it ought to be. And uh, that's fine, but then you are surrendering your, your role in politics. And I think this is why the left has had a basically ceaseless victories for the past several decades, regardless of who, who wins the elections. Michael Knowles is our guest. Speechless is his book. Regnery Publishing has put it out. Controlling words, controlling minds, which reminds me of something we were talking about on our program live on the radio today. And that is sort of this uh, disconnect between reality and the things that the people in power, the, the, uh, the, the ones that try to manipulate thought, opinion, words and all of that. Uh, there seems to be a, a complete disconnect 
between everyday life on the streets and the things that they say and are trying to push upon us. Uh, is that a part of this history of manipulating words and manipulating minds? Because it just boggles the mind to watch them speak on national television and then go, I don't what, what world do they live in? Because that is not at all what I see going on in front of me. Yes, this is the great consolation, actually, is that and actually the Matt Patty of political correctness, Antonio Beach, who is a, uh, he was a radical revolutionary, a communist party founder in Italy. Um, he, he discovered that the reason the Marxist revolution had failed. Christmas is a special time of worshiping our King. May the blessing of knowing Christ enrich your life in the upcoming year. This is Diane Xavier, Production Manager for KTH 910 AM in North Texas, wishing you and your loved ones a Merry Christmas, a blessed New Year, with the comfort and protection of Christ and Our Lady. Hi listeners, Sean here. Join me in this short meditation on the birth of Jesus. From Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. On behalf of all of us here at the GRN in South and Central Texas, have a blessed Christmas celebration. May God bless you and Mary smile upon you. Amen. because that is not at all what I see going on in front of me. Yes, this is the great consolation, actually, is that and actually the back daddy of political correctness, Antonio Nietzsche, who is a, uh, he was a radical revolutionary, a communist party founder in Italy. Um, he, he discovered that the reason that the Marxist revolutions had failed is because the revolutionaries did not have a hold of the common sense. You know, they had lots of prescriptions for how to liberate the oppressed masses, but the oppressed masses didn't like those theories very much. And so he, he understood that they had to be liberated from their false consciousness, and uh, the radicals needed to attain cultural hegemony through moral position. These are all technical terms, but they describe the process by which the radicals would engage in what was later called the long march through the institutions to gain positions of power whereby even though they were small in number, they could exert a huge political influence. And that, that is what they have, have done. Ernest Hemingway in Sun Also Rises describes going bankrupt as a process that happens gradually, then suddenly. <laughs> and I think we were in the gradual phase for much of the 20th century, and now we are in the, the suddenly phase of that. You're seeing people push back, the, the common people across races, across demographics, they're showing up to the school boards and saying, we don't want radical racial theories in our schools. We don't want radical gender theories in our schools. Don't tell my little four-year-old boy that he's a little girl. Uh, that, that's a very good thing. And you're seeing the, the ruling class, the ruling elite now, sneering at them, you know, as they often have, calling them bitter clangers, deplorable, irredeemable. They don't even know what critical race theory is, they claim. People know, know quite a lot more. And so if, if conservatives or traditionalists can hold on to that, can 
can defend that against the predations of the ruling elite, I think we have a glimmer of hope. But, but that will involve taking their side and, and really putting forward a moral vision. And I'm not sure that many leading conservatives are willing to do that. You uh, mentioned earlier, I want to go back to talking about the uh, the sexual confusion today. Uh, it's something I harp on quite a bit, the drag queen story hours. I go out with the uh, the TFP, uh, the American Defense for Tradition, Family, and Property to help protest drag queen shows and all these things because I, I it's the tip of the spear attacking society. And in your book, you mention the relationship between the Albigensian heresy and the modern sexual confusion. Uh, the cure for the Albigensian heresy, uh, other than the Crusades, was the wielding of the Holy Rosary by Holy Father Dominic and his hounds of the Lord, the Dominicans. Do you think that the preaching of the Rosary will be the cure to the modern-day Albigensian heresy? Uh, you know, it actually had not occurred to me, even as I as I pray my nightly Rosary. But I I, I suppose you know so often uh, the answer is to recognize that uh, while we we may do what we can and we ought to do what we can, ultimately uh, prayer and in particular the Rosary, which has saved civilization on more than one occasion. Let's not, beyond the Albigensians, let's not forget the Battle of Lepanto. Uh, we, we really must turn to God, and we must pray uh, to the, uh, the Blessed Mother. And th- these things can be extraordinarily effective. And, uh, but, but we need those Dominicans, too. We need those, <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the hounds of the Lord defeated that first, that first heresy, and there's nothing new under the sun. But we do need people to go out there and, and preach the truth and suppress this kind of error, because the, the error of Gnostic dualism uh, showed itself in Albigensianism, it showed itself in, in Marcionism, showed itself in Manichaeism. I mean, this, this seems to crop up over the centuries, and unfortunately, the historically illiterate left does not, does not seem to recognize that. They think that they've stumbled on some new truth, that uh, in the case of transgenderism, our body has nothing to do with who we really are. And that's, of course, preposterous. But notice, notice their account. On the one hand, they push transgenderism, which says that the physical world, our bodies, have nothing to do with who we really are. On the other hand, they push materialism. They tell us we don't have a soul, that our loves and our dreams and our hopes are nothing more than just accidents of, of pistons firing off in our head, and we're all meat puppets who will turn to worm food someday. They push materialism. And those are opposite explanations of human nature, but they both contradict the, the reality of the human person, which is that we're body, soul, and spirit. It seems to often be the case. The left will vacillate between contradicting ideas uh, so long as they upend the traditional understanding of, of society and of the human person. So I think it, it's important for us not just to tamp down, you know, like a whack-a-mole, the crazy new ideas that are cropping up, but actually to make a substantive defense of what we really believe. We, we've had this shallow proceduralism on, on the right, especially over the last 20 or so years, where we, we defend uh, free speech and freedom of belief in the abstract. But, but we need to know what it is exactly that we believe. And so much of the debate going on on the right right now, I think, is, is about that. Well, we will either stand for the good, the true, and the beautiful, or we will fall for anything. And, and we've, we've engaged in the latter for far too long. 
Absolutely. And I think the rosary in particular is a great defense against this because in meditating upon like for the sorrowful mysteries of the Holy Rosary, you think about the humanity of Christ, the tearing of his flesh and how suffering is good for one. That teaches you one thing. The second thing that the body is not evil because it's something that's glorious that we see in the joyful mysteries. But then in the glorious mysteries, we see the resurrection of the body. We see that it's not just simply a ghost in the shell. And then we see the coronation of Our Lady as Queen of Heaven and Earth. So we raise woman and, and promote what a woman actually is. So we now we know what a man is. We know what a woman is. We know what the body is. We know what the soul is. We know the importance of a hylomorphic creature of, a, of the body and soul composite. I, I find it very fascinating uh, how this completely solves the, the, uh, the theologically and philosophically the errors of today. And of course, the physicality of the sacramental itself, of the Holy Rosary or of your scapula, reminds you that we, we do live in time and space. This, uh, this is a real world. We're not just free-floating minds without bodies. So that's very important. And I I do think, especially now that we have uh, prayed the Sorrowful Mysteries yesterday, it is important to remember that uh, being shut up on Twitter is bad. Uh, But uh, people have suffered more than uh, than that in history. The (laughs) martyrs have. And our Lord certainly has suffered more than that. And and we can can bind ourselves to that. I'm I'm reminded of of, uh, St. Charles Borromeo, his, his visit up to heaven, his visit down to hell, and his visit to Calvary, where we see our Lord uh, bleeding on the cross because, because of the sin that he is, he is redeeming us all from, our own sin. And you think, well, the least we can do is stand up and say that a man is not a woman. <laughs> the mm. least we can do is attest in even the most basic way to that truth which, which has, has redeemed us all, and which is the only way that we will be set free. You know, such, such a, a hideous error of transgenderism is this uh, emotional manipulation where they will tell you uh, on the left that if you do not tell Bruce Jenner that he really is a woman, that you're being very cruel to him. And, and the premise here applies beyond transgenderism. It, it means that uh, lies are liberating and that the truth is cruel. And of course, the reality is the opposite. Lies are disrespectful and cruel, and the truth will set you free. Michael Moles is our guest. And Michael, you know, I was just thinking about what you're, we've seemed to, we're, we're full on papist at this point in the conversation. I mean, there's no getting out of it. Uh, Mackerel snappers, absolutely. What, 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 what I find interesting about this is, I mean, you're a guy who works with some pretty famous, or as some would say, infamous non-Catholics uh, and non-Christians even. Um, you probably have a good portion of your audience who are not Catholic. Uh, how, are, how are they responding? To, you seem to apply your Catholic thought and uh, spirituality to your work and to your thoughts, especially on politics and society and culture. Uh, are you receiving any pushback for that? And if you could, you can share that with us. I will occasionally receive some pushback, uh, sometimes from atheists, uh, sometimes from my my Protestant listeners and colleagues who are confused about various aspects of of the faith. So they'll be confused about. Usually, they're they're not arguing against Catholicism. They're arguing against some preposterous bumper bumper sticker slogan (laughs) misrepresentation of Catholicism. So you know, they'll ask why we worship the saints and, and things like that. And I'm I'm more than happy to answer those questions because uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And there's some pretty weak catechesis, by the way, in uh, various parishes. So I'm, I'm more than happy to, to answer those questions as best I can. But, but one thing that I am noticing is there is a bit more solidarity than there is division among Christians and even among theists more broadly. 
including Jews and Muslims, because we recognize that uh, the, the threat to our civilization at the moment, I, I don't think it's the Jews, I don't think it's the Muslims, despite you know, the, the wars with Islamic terrorists over the past few decades, I think the, the most dire threat is from the secularism within, this, this hideous anti-religious, anti-intellectual bigotry that will kick uh, uh, all of religion out of public life. Uh, there, I think one needs a bit of solidarity because it, it you know, that what we take to be now neutral secular liberalism is anything but. It's not neutral at all. The one book you're not allowed to teach in schools is the Bible. It's the most important book ever written. Even if you were an atheist or you thought you were an atheist, surely you would have to admit that the the rest of Western literature doesn't make any sense if you if you don't understand the Bible and if you haven't read the Bible. So. It is a bit bizarre that that's that's speech code. That's a that's a a banned book in our public schools. You are not permitted to have school prayer anymore. Again, this is not from the beginning of the country. This is only within the last fifty or so years. And I think it's it was a, a very uh, intentional and brilliant and clever scheme to to upend traditional society. In, in the words of the 1619 Project, to reframe our society. In the case of that project, they want to put slavery at the center of it. And in in the broader sense, they want to take God out of the center of that. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always so pleased when people will write into the show and say, Michael, I've become Catholic. You know, I used to be Methodist or something, but now, or I used to be Muslim, but now I'm, I don't know, whatever the and it's is. all your <laughs> fault, which, <laughs> which, right. which, which reminds me of the follow-up question to that is, what about controlling words and minds within the Church? That's something we're struggling with now is some of the manipulations that happen among the hierarchy uh, of the faithful. We saw this during the pandemic. We see this during political correctness, the abuse crisis, and so much more. Uh, what about that? I'm always reminded of Hilaire Belloc's line that he has to take it as a matter of faith that the Church is divinely instituted, but for non-believers, one bit of evidence of that divine institution is that no other institution conducted with such knavish imbecility would have lasted a fortnight. <laughs> you're, you're certainly Praise that. be to Jesus Christ, and that's going to have to do it with our interview with Michael Knowles. If you want to hear the rest of that interview, then you have to go to our website. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, or look us up on YouTube. Just look up on YouTube, Catholic Drive Time Michael Knowles, and you will find that interview right there. But that's going to do it. We are done with the best of for 2021. When we come back, it's going to be 2022. Can you imagine? Praise be to God. You have stuck with us through 2020, through 2021. And now here we are heading into the new year. So praise be to God. We're going to join you and it's going to be a great year. Oh, and don't forget, it's still Christmas time. So Merry Christmas to you. And I hope your lights are still up. Hope your tree's still out. And I hope you're still handing out presents. Well, maybe not the presents part, but praise be to God. And we will see you live in the studio on Monday. Well, at least Joe and Rudy will, because Rudy's going to be in town. And I will see. So praise be to God. God love you. God bless you. See you then. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with 
everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the seventh day of the octave of Christmas. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done, and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Christe Lehison, Christe Lehison, Kyrie Lehison, Kyrie Lehison. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good will. We praise you, we bless you. We adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, 
Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, who in the nativity of your Son established the beginning and fulfillment of all religion, grant, we pray, that we may be numbered among those who belong to him, who in whom is the fullness of human salvation, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist was coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. Thus we know this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really our mem of our number. If they had been, they would have remained with us. Their desertion shows that none of them was of our number. But you have the anointing that comes from the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do, and because every lie is alien to the truth. The word of the Lord. God. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all you lands. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, announce his salvation day after day. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and what fills it resound. Let the plains be joyful and all that is in them. Then shall all the trees of the forest exult before the Lord. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. The Lord comes, he comes to rule the earth. He shall rule the world with justice and the peoples with his constancy. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. To those who accepted him, he gave power to become the children of God. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory, Glory to, to you, o Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony, to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him, but the world did not know him. 
he came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to those who did accept him, he gave power to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not by natural generation, nor by human choice, nor by a man's decision, but of God. And the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, The one who is coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. From his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace, because while the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son, God, who is at the Father's side, has revealed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. John has it right at the very beginning of his letter that we have in the, in the first reading today. It is the last hour. And in this last hour, at least of 2021, uh, we kind of come full circle. The Gospel, which is the prologue of St. John, was proclaimed on Christmas morning. And now it is proclaimed the very last day of the year. And these readings remind us, I think, of two things. The first is St. John, he seems to kind of end on a little bit of a fearful note. You know, He says he speaks in his letter about the Antichrist. You have heard that the Antichrist was coming. So now many Antichrists have appeared. I think it's important to remember that the Antichrist is not so much identified as a specific person, but it is the spirit that is opposed to Jesus Christ. In a way, uh, St. Peter experienced this when Jesus rebuked him, no? Is Jesus, when Peter says, you know, well, what, let's put aside all of this cross business you keep talking about, and Jesus rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are speaking as man does, not as God. You are thinking as man does, not as God does. And that's the spirit of the Antichrist, the one who does not want to accept Jesus, his mission, in particular his mission uh, of giving his life for our salvation on the cross. That's the Antichrist. It is always around. Maybe we think it's more today than it was last year or the year before or centuries before. It is always present and will be present until the end of the world, until Christ wins the final victory, which he's already won, but it is definitive over the flesh, the world, and the devil. But it is there. Nonetheless, St. John really does give us this great encouragement. We have this anointing that comes from the Holy One, and we have all knowledge because we live in the truth. The central message, I think, of the gospel is what we have in the Alleluia verse. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and to those who accepted him, he gave power to become the children of God. So we've spoken of this past week that God, or Jesus being the light of the world that has come to enlighten all men, he is this new measure. It also reminds us that he has, he has given us the grace to become children of God. And that is such an amazing mystery that it, we have to uh, reflect on it this entire week. As we end this year, and some of us are ready to say goodbye to 2021 and to say hello, maybe a little bit uh, fearfully of 2022, not knowing what to expect. But I think one thing we can expect, the grace of God can be fruitful in our life because we belong to him. That we can expect. 
I remember that this past year was the year of St. Joseph, and that those seeds that have been planted of the grace of this of that year should start to find should start to flourish. We might we might see that begin to unfold and flower in our life. But whatever difficulty we might have we might have experienced in 2021, we always should remember that the Lord is with us. The Word is made flesh; He has dwelt amongst us, and that will be the case in 2022 as well. The Lord is always with us. So in these last days, in this last hour, as St. John says, we should reflect on what has happened in this past year. Maybe we could just try to go through month by month and try to pick out what were significant events in the last 12 months. What were the uh, difficulties we experienced? What were the joys that we experienced? What are those mysteries in our life, uh, the experiences in our life where we've seen the presence of God in our life working even amongst very uh, trying times god is always with us and while the spirit of the antichrist is also present god has overcome that in jesus christ he's overcome and we can too because we belong to him let us ask the lord now to uh, bestow his grace upon us that this new year which is coming uh, will be a year that is even more fruitful within his grace that is in us that we may ever be a more greater and and transparent witness that we have become children of God. Amen. Let us joyfully acc acclaim Christ, who was born in Bethlehem in Judea, for he gives nourishment and guidance to his holy people. Let us pray that Christ the Savior who is the desired of the nations, would spread his gospel to places still deprived of the word of God and draw every person to himself. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray that Christ the Lord would let his church grow and extend to the boundaries of, its all, of all until it embraces men and women of every language and race. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, King of Kings, direct the hearts and minds of all rulers to seek justice, peace, and freedom for all nations, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That God, our almighty ruler, who is the strength of the weak, would support those in temptation, lift up the fallen, protect those living in danger, console those who have been deceived, comfort the incurably ill, strengthen the faith of those who are anxious, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray to the consoler of the sorrowful, to the comforter of the dying, to lead all that to lead all of them to the found, fountains of living water. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all of our personal intentions, for those who are joining us through Guadalupe Radio and online, for all of those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association, for all of our needs, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we bring all of our prayers and petitions before you, confident that you hear and answer us through Christ our Lord. Amen. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth. To touch their harps of gold, peace on the earth, good will to men from heaven. 
Jesus King. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled. And still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains they bend on hovering wing, and ever o'er its babble sounds the blessed angels sing. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice of your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. O God, who give us the gift of true prayer and of peace, graciously grant that through this offering we may do fitting homage to your divine majesty, and by partaking of the sacred mystery we may be faithfully united in mind and heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for in the mystery of the Word made flesh, a new light of your glory has shone upon the eyes of our mind, so that we, as we recognize in him God made visible, we may be caught up through him in love of things invisible. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you.
In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world to bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, the blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Anistei, cruitolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Anistei, cruitolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Anistei, 
Tonis Pagata Mundi Dona Nobis Pacham Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might have life through him. <clears throat> An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, Come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you are already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The first Noel, the angel did say, was who certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. In fields as they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, 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 Let us pray. May your people, O Lord, whom you guide and sustain in many ways, experience both now and in the future the remedies which you bestow, that with the needed solace of things that pass away, they may strive ever more deep, deep, with ever deepened trust for things eternal through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Bow down for the blessing. May the God of infinite goodness, 
who by the incarnation of his Son has driven darkness from the world, and by that glorious birth has illumined this holy day, drive far from you the darkness of vice, and illumine your hearts with the light of virtue. May God, who willed that the great joy of his Son's saving birth be announced to shepherds by the angel, fill your minds with the gladness he gives, and make you heralds of his gospel. Amen. May God, who by the incarnation brought together the earthly and the heavenly realm, fill you with the gifts of his peace and favor, and make you sharers with the church in heaven. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you. The Prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee, through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy Thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.